skip to 12 minutes and 45 seconds if you already heard the March 30th coronavirus update. Hello and welcome to Film Couch, episode 9. In this episode, we're going to be talking about The Lighthouse. I'm Joe, and on the other end of the couch is Nicola. Hey, what's up? Now, before we get into this, let's have a quick chat about how we're feeling in the pandemic. Um, I think it's been now two weeks or or maybe a little bit longer that I haven't left my apartment. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I left, on, uh, I left on Sunday, Saturday. Where'd you go? I, uh, I went to Metro. How was it in there? Are people like social distancing? And- uh, yeah, yeah, a, a little bit. Not as much as I've seen like in some other parts of the world. But I mean, yeah, they, they are right. taking a lot of precautions. There's like a line outside Metro. For anyone who doesn't know or doesn't mm. live in Peru or South America, it's a, like a big grocery store, kind of like a supermarket, kind of like Walmart. Um, but there's a line to go inside the parking lot. Then there's a line in the parking lot to go inside the store. And then inside the supermarket, wow. there's a line to get some chicken. So you see the importance of chicken, man. <laughs> I bet people are actually queuing up like big time for the pollo a la brasa, if they're still selling yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a queue. That's what the queue was for. <laughs> wow. So pollo a la brasa, which basically means, I guess it's rotisserie chicken or... Yeah. Yeah, uh, is rotisserie chicken, and it's a really popular dish in Peru, and people just go mad for it. Um, I mean, I miss pollo la brasa a little bit, but not as much as I'm sure you uh, do. <laughs> but you miss it a lot right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I miss it uh, a lot, but I, I think I miss fried chicken more. Still thinking about that Popeyes. Yeah, I mean, I'm waiting for the day when the quarantine is uh, when the quarantine ends, and I can go to that one sacred place. <laughs> um i think mimi sent you the picture of the fried fried wings that she made right <laughs> yeah that was uh that made me miss it even more <laughs> when this is all over we'll invite you over and we'll uh, we'll have some some of mimi's now to now famous they're gonna be famous uh fried chicken wings dude yeah man they were it looked really they good were hella good man <laughs> yeah. yeah i bet you guys enjoyed that <laughs> yeah we did didn't enjoy the film that we watched while we were watching it. We watched Eli. Uh, don't bother, guys. <laughs> it's just another crappy generic horror film, and the ending is just. I couldn't. I I was just like seriously. I just couldn't believe the ending. I was I was in shock at how bad it was. <laughs> it's, it's like it, it's always the same. Like horror films, like they they put all of this effort into building up a good story, and then when it comes to like the climax. Or it comes to the definitive point. It's like they just gave up and they just, oh, just put the devil or something. <laughs> yeah, that's like the go-to answer for horror films. Yeah, it's terrible. Need some payment. If you're going to go devil, be specific. That's right, man. I mean, so at least uh, a, a demon with personality, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you're, you're keeping your sanity at home. Are you feeling better working from home or are you still struggling? Uh, I guess I'm still struggling a little bit. Um. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, it's easier to get distracted, for one. And also just work's been pretty tough. Usually, like, at the beginning yeah. of the week. Um, 
I would have liked to think that like my specific job would have um, like I, I would be able to slack more. <laughs> well, not slack more, but I, I would have thought that like the workload would decrease with uh, like with the current situation we're in, but actually has increased. Oh, so, terrible. so yeah, it's a little tough in that sense. I guess I'm still missing the office just because everything's there, and also you know, once I leave the office, I know that I have nothing else to do with it. But it's kind of difficult to yeah. make that to distinguish that here. That's kind of the you know the catch twenty two of working from home. I've been working from home for like four and a half years now, and there's there's the good side to it is you learn to be so um, what's the word. So restrained, mm. not restrained. Um, like disciplined? Yeah, disciplined. You learn to be really disciplined and you you have uh, good self-control because it's so easy to procrastinate. Or, you know, your, your bed is in the next room. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like that when, you, when you're working in an office. So you, you learn to, like, set goals and say, you know what, I need to do this. And after a while, you know, I think working from home has made me a super productive person because you have to be. Um, but yeah, the, the the downside to that is you suddenly live where you work. Yeah, which which is tough. It's hard to yeah, it's hard to close the laptop and and turn everything off. Yeah, I mean it. It does have a sub. It's it's up. Uh, like it's pros definitely because I can just wake up five minutes before and then you know just sit <laughs> in That's front it. of the laptop and and log in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, so, that's one of the yeah. good things. It has a lot to do with the personality of the person, I think. Yeah, I reckon so. Well, I hope you warm to it. Um, I mean, I don't want to be negative, a negative Nancy, but I think we're going to be under quarantine for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Yeah, I can't imagine like a day in the future where, you know, <laughs> where people say, I don't know if I said this in the in the last update, but I can't imagine a day in the future where the president says, uh, yeah, okay, everything's good. You can leave, go to restaurants, go to the cinema. No, nope, can't imagine it. At least not this year. Unlikely to be next year, you know? It, it, maybe we'll be out of quarantine, but there's still going to be um, that that fear, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be fear. Um, I mean, I don't think it's feasible for, you know, a country like Peru to stay in quarantine mm. for, like, longer than a longer than two months i even think a month is too much not because i i want it to be that way just because of uh i mean we're like we're a third world country you know so it's uh yeah it's not it it's not very practical i i, I think it, it it depends a lot on on people like once the the quarantine is lifted i hope that the people who who are able to still work from home and the companies that have that you know that can give that uh that option to their employees actually you know continue to do so at least for a little while so as much as i don't like it particularly i I think most likely we'll continue to do so at least for another month yeah uh to sort of lessen the chances of everything going back this to the way it was you know yeah i mean i think i think we'll be lucky if it's just another month and i think people should um should self-quarantine as well after that oh did you hear that as of uh tomorrow the quarantine has been extended. So now it starts from 6 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. So no one is allowed outside at all after 6 p.m. Yeah. they th- That was pretty quick as well. On the plus side, I think Tambo is going to be opening up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think so? 
I think they, they. I'm pretty sure they mentioned it, but only a few, a few, uh, a few locations. Well, that's good. To <laughs> <laughs> so the people who don't know what Tambo is, what what can you get at Tambo, Nicola? I guess to those living in in the United States, it's like a Seven Eleven. So you can get a, uh, you can get burgers, you can get a, uh, munchies. Is it, is it an American, store? Seven Eleven. I mean, no. The oh, oh, you're comparing Tambo to a to a like a, a generic Seven Eleven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. I thought for a second that Tambo existed in in the US. Uh no, I don't think so. No. Yeah, it's just like you get your your beers and stuff there. It's a bit nice, like a bit nicer than most, I guess, bodegas or Seven Elevens that you get in Peru because you can get some quirky things in there, like a brew dog beer. Which is difficult to find anywhere else. Ah, that's right. They do have like some. Uh, I guess like uh, there's a little more variety than than in your normal bodega. I mean, they have four locals, yeah. man. Oh, I've heard about that. Isn't that that weird like spirit alcohol mixer thing? Uh, yeah, it's it's disgusting. I mean, it's the worst thing you could possibly put into your <laughs> into your system. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's like alcohol with uh with caffeine. A bit like a, a Jaeger bomb or. Uh... Vodka Red Bull, uh, bad for you, really bad for you. Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. The the other thing, which is, um, I mean, this is you know, this is me being really, really silly and selfish, and uh, I know that the, you know, I, I was thinking last night about the people who live alone, especially in you know Peru and or in in, in other third world countries. Man, I can't even imagine how tough it must be for them. Um, I mean, so, you know, this is why I feel guilty about thinking and feeling what I do and what I'm about to say. Um, beer is not being distributed because it's not a, a necessity. So beer's running out everywhere and that hurts. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I think, I think uh, the like licoreria, the beer alcohol place near us, the guy said, this is the last of what I've got when we bought like a, a couple beers and he said we're not selling anymore after that wow i mean yeah it, it makes sense yeah i'm wondering now now that the fact that you don't know about it makes me skeptical and i feel like mimi's maybe just uh pulling my leg <laughs> uh i mean it, it 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 makes sense you know it's it's um i mean it makes sense that there would be a, sh- a shortage of that considering that it's it's again not like a first necessity product and and also that um I'm guessing like days before the quarantine or even like as the quarantine began, like that was like the, f- the first product most people purchased like in abundance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, I know how, I know how selfish it is and how like silly it is for me to say that. I do recognize that. I know people listening now thinking what a jerk, but, um, I know it's just something that I like and it's not going to be available soon. And that sucks. That's it. I'm not saying it's um, a rational thing to be sad about, but it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm not sad about it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Dude, but if it could be the catalyst for you starting to like brew your own beer, that would be amazing, man. Oh, man. I'd love to do that someday. I think I have to wait till my midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or, or um, collecting minerals, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're not rocks marie <laughs> so there's one thing i just wanted to clear up from the uh last podcast the whiplash one and the coronavirus update one that was march 23rd mm-hmm. um i listened back to it 
And I said something that sounded pretty uh, misogynistic, I guess, <laughs> where I said, I mean, people can perceive it as misogynistic. I said something about, I'm lucky to have a wife looking after me at home and cooking and stuff. And I just want to say, we're all, we're all like putting in effort in this home to, you know, uh, keep each other sane and keep the place clean. And uh, Mimi does do the cooking, but that's just because I'm, I'm an awful cook, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, she's, she's not the slave of the house. I just wanted to say that and redeem myself. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get shouted at or anything. <laughs> so I just want to. <laughs> it's like, but I did not get dinner for almost a week. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, man, that couch can be comfortable. So we are going to talk about the lighthouse. Are you ready? Uh, as ready as I can ever be, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's get into this. Triton! Hark! Bellow! Bid our father, the Sea King, rise from the depths full foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with pungent slime. This is the sound of me butchering Defoe's momentous monologue. Outstanding performance from Willem Dafoe, who plays Thomas Wake, I think. I'd say, uh, and I'm sorry to say this, I'd say he did a much better job than Robert Pattinson, who plays Thomas Howard or Ephraim Winslow. Wouldn't you agree, Nicola? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to argue that, you know, he's not like a, a veteran actor supposed to Pattinson. I mean, he's at another level, yeah. He's, he's definitely mm -hmm. like another category of actor. But, um, and that's not putting Pattinson down. I mean, I, I think he has like all the possibility to get there at some point. And I think he's a really good actor. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I despised him. Like once I saw him in Twilight and I did not ever <laughs> like doubt that he would, that he would uh, amount to anything more than that. And he, he, you know, he, he surprised me quite a lot. So, uh, <clears throat> I liked him in the role, but yeah, I would say I would say um, the foe was. Mm, uh, I, I guess yeah, you, you you can you can definitely tell they're not you know the same range, but I, I liked him nevertheless. Sure, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not at all saying that he was bad, and I think Robert Pattinson is a, is a great actor. Um, I actually rate his music a little bit more than his acting but i think that he's he's getting there position as well oh yeah man he played i mean this is it's super embarrassing for me to admit this but he <laughs> played the uh the theme song never think in twilight never think. i think it is quite cringe but i really like it and i think he's a great singer um, and musician <laughs> Wait, so apart from Twilight, has he like explored that that career further as well? Like as a musician, does he, I don't know, come out with songs every once in a while? Or I mean, it's not a, um, I guess, not an official musician, because you can't really find any recordings of him anywhere. You can just find like, you know, those dinky youtube recordings in like a, mm. a a pub somewhere with like 15 people watching 
and he probably doesn't do it anymore because you know he's mad famous so huh. yeah he never really he never really went anywhere with his music but from what i've heard he is great look he's not a bad actor and he's good in this i i did think and maybe this is me having a lack of um understanding of how people spoke back then but i thought that his his accent was a little inconsistent in the film mm-hmm. i thought Defoe nailed his accent i guess i, I didn't notice that it, it is interesting you mentioned that though because one of like the like most particular aspects of his of his acting that people have uh like highlighted in the last couple of years and in, in a good sense of course is uh like his ability to uh imitate particular accents uh all throughout like his filmography um who defoe or pattinson no uh pattinson really I mean, he did a. I think it was like a yeah, like a Bronx, like a New York Bronx accent in uh, in Good Time, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean, because he, he's a uh, he's uh, he's from England, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's British. And uh, I thought he did that really well. Also, the the movie is great as well. Um, and he okay. also I forgot what kind of accent he did for the Lost City of C, but I thought he was he was pretty good in that as well. All right, you know what? I'm gonna sh- retract what I said because. I don't think I know enough about American accents. And I know that back then, American accents were quite different. So I'm, I'm going to put that down to me not knowing the accent. No, but I mean, so, I'm not saying you're not, you're not right. You might be right. I guess it's just something I, I didn't uh, like pay close attention to in the movie. I have to watch it again. But you know what? I think the fact that it didn't um, grab your attention... I think that's a sign that he wasn't doing anything wrong. Because to me, it was kind of always on my mind. I was always thinking, what accent is that? Is that, does it, it doesn't really sound like what he said before. I didn't, I, I did not. The day was long as hell on that drive and I was lead tired, I admit it. So maybe I was like dancing around the accents, trying to figure out what it was the whole time, which made me think it was inconsistent. So can we talk Greek mythology for a second? Sure. This has been... Uh, admitted, for lack of a better word, by Robert Eggers himself. Wait, his name's Robert Eggers, right? Uh, I'm not sure if it's Eggers or Eagers, but... Uh... Eagers. <laughs> I'm just going to stick to Eggers. <laughs> um, this has been admitted, for lack of a better word, by uh, the director, Robert Eggers, or Eagers, I'm just going to call him Eggers, that Greek, Greek mythology is uh, a part of his inspiration behind the two characters. So... Thomas Wake, the lightkeeper. Before I go on, do you do you know about this, or do you know um, the, what the references are? Uh, no, no idea. Oh, really? Okay. All right. This is going to be fun. Um, so Thomas Wake, the lightkeep, is comparable to Proteus, and he was a shape-shifting sea god known as the Old Man of the Sea. Um, and Proteus dwelled on the island of Pharos, and Pharos meaning lighthouse. So it fits. Uh, And Proteus apparently knew all things, past, present, and future, but was reluctant to share. Does that sound familiar? Do you think that fits? Yeah. So far, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say so far, like I have more. That's all I have on him. Let's move (laughs) on to uh, Thomas Howard. (laughs) So Thomas Howard, or Ephraim Winslow, um, he was the, the lumberjack on the run. And he was comparable to Prometheus. Prometheus was the titan who stole fire from the gods, which 
pissed them off and made them send an eagle to pick his liver out, only for it to regenerate again the next day to then be picked out again. Lovely. Also familiar, but seagulls, right? Yeah, I would say it's completely off there, man. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> because it's not a seagull. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would think that this would be like a pretty um, pretentious uh, view of, um, or a pretty pretty pretentious uh, analogy of, of the film. But the fact that the director himself said that this is where he got the inspiration made me want to dive into it a little bit. But yeah, but the, the weird thing is, and the thing that kind of makes me think, oh, it's a bit flat, is Proteus and Prometheus, the ancient Greek mythological people, characters, never actually crossed paths. They weren't really related to each other at all. Okay, so it was kind of like, uh, like he just, the director just drew from, I mean, two different, uh, two different characters of Greek mythology and, uh, I mean, who never had any correlation within, like, the actual mythology, and he just uh, used them as the inspiration for these characters. Yeah, which, I don't know, to me it's like, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> what was it, Jason versus Freddy or whatever it was? Yeah, Jason versus Freddy. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's not really... <laughs> but that's just me, that's just me. What did you think to, uh, I guess, uh, big question, but their relationship... I think there was certainly like a homoerotic aspect of the relationship. Definitely. That uh, that that might have made might have, might have made it a little more interesting if it wasn't so ambiguous. Like it it's, it really played a lot with that. Uh, but eventually it just sort of it just abandoned the idea at a certain point. I thought they had really good chemistry for one. Like sort of leaving the story for a bit and just the actors. I thought they really had great chemistry. Um, mm. As far as the relationship, uh, yeah, I guess I mean I don't know as, as, as much of these uh, as much of the story as I could understand. I guess <laughs> I think uh, right. I think it was a very intriguing uh, relationship. Uh, yeah. it, it, it sort of reminds me of like those. Um, there's like a certain type of movie where I mean this is a very particular case because they're like the only two actors you see in a movie. Um, but there's a particular type mm. of film where like. They're you know two opposing characters, and they pretty much like drive the whole narrative. Uh, sort of in the case of like there will be blood, or um, or maybe I don't know the master. I mean they're both like Paul Thomas Anderson films, but uh, okay. I I thought this had like an interesting dynamic in that sense as well. Yeah, and you know what? I love this kind of film. I you you know I've said this before. I love a good like hero story. And I think I'm starting to understand more what I mean by that when I see films like this is I love following a person and a single kind of narrative. I really like that. Um, like like Joker, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a single narrative the whole way, more or less. And it's from one perspective. And this, this is obviously from the perspective of Winslow or mm-hmm. um, Thomas Howard. And yeah, I like that. I like that because it's it's easy to follow and... And in in some ways, it makes it, while, while it is easy to follow a narrative like that, it also makes it so much more open to, um, to what's the word I'm looking for? Like interpretation or? That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. I forgot how to speak. Um, yeah, it's open. It's much more open to interpretation because is the, the narrator reliable or not? And I think mm-hmm. that's, played on a lot in this film and a question that i want to ask you is 
Who had the axe? Who chased who with the axe? I mean, I, I have. Uh, I guess I, I wasn't able to come up with like my own interpretation of that, just because like by the time the story ended, I was like, what the f***? <laughs> what, what actually went on throughout the whole movie? Um, right. It, it's it's certainly a movie, and I'm not saying it's like a type of n- story that I don't necessarily like, mm-hmm. but I think, I mean, I I think with like narrative. And, and like a way you build tension or no just forget forget that i think just uh a lot of directors like in, in in their stories they either exploit like the the question of did this happen did this character do this uh who was it that did this i think like personally as a viewer i'm much less interested in if something actually happened like in the you know christopher nolan sense of wow did this really happen was it all a dream was it in the head of this character mm-hmm. And I'm really more interested in, okay, it happened. We know it happened, but why did it happen? Like, why did the character do that? I think that makes it more interesting for me, at least. This type of movie really, like, goes, like, all the way in, you know, did it happen? Was it in the mind of the viewer? Uh, or, or, I mean, was it in the mind of the, of the character? Was it, um, at least, I, I think, it, it, I'm, I'm more interested in the other type of question. Uh, right. Maybe it's also like a, a reason. Maybe it has to do with like my my lack of uh, my utter lack of of uh, sort of like of analysis in the sense that I can't really come up with like uh, my own idea of yeah I think it happened uh, and I think he did it because of, th- of this. Maybe it's right. that. It's like <laughs> so it's- you're you're less interested in the if and you're more interested in the. The deeper meaning behind and the why what I guess. happened. Yeah, the why, yeah. I can see, yeah, how that would be more appealing from a, a, a viewing sense. But I mean, do you think he had the axe or not? <laughs> I mean, do you think, <laughs> <laughs> you think it was, <laughs> I want to like, know what I you think. You, wanna, you, thing, you really didn't have a conclusion. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea who had the axe. Like by the time that happened, I was like, wait. So was he joking? Was uh, was William Dafoe really just making the other guy think he was crazy? Or I, I guess for something like that, I'd have to watch the movie like three times and you know go on Reddit, right. <laughs> like go on all the forums <laughs> to be like, yeah, you know, I think this happened, but because other, otherwise I'd have yeah. no clue, man. I'm really bad at analyzing those things, to be honest with you. Oh no, don't get me wrong. I'm um, as soon as I watch a film, I'm all over YouTube and Reddit and reading <laughs> articles and watching, yeah, interviews. Um, actually from Robert Pattinson himself, Robert asked Eggers, the director, he said, what is really happening? He asked him, you know, can you tell me (laughs) what's going on? You know, I'm acting in this film. And, um, he said, whose perspective is it really from? Uh, and so on. But Eggers actually told him that he had to decide it for himself and he's the leading (laughs) actor. So I, I, I love that. I think that's great. That's a great way to, um, to let your, you know, one of your leading actors interpret it as they want to or as they think they should. Mm-hmm. And the, the the interesting thing is, and, and Pattinson said this as well, he said Defoe could have a completely different uh, perception of the narrative and he could think that whatever, the, the opposite of what I think happens and Eggers could think the opposite of both of them. And mm-hmm. I think that's great. Like, that's that's cool. yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome that like Robert Eggers, Eggers, Eggman, whatever. 
it's also <laughs> that he didn't spoil it for the audience. Like for one, I think that's that's great. Uh, like now, as to whether he told his character, his actors, like what really goes on or doesn't go on, um, I think that's again that's entirely up to the director. If he thinks it'll, like the the performance will benefit from from not knowing or maybe from knowing mm-hmm. in some cases. So yeah, I I I, I think it's um, as long as you don't tell the audience and as long as you you make sure that the that the actor doesn't also spoil it in an, in an interview or something. Like, yeah, the director told me that this means this, you know. Then I'd be like, right. damn it, you know, why didn't you just keep that to yourself? Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And I think, you know, for, for both characters, um, if, if I were the director and I wanted to create this super ambiguous story, mm-hmm. I would probably make the same decision. I'd like to think that I would have made the same decision as Eggers did. Because having both of your characters kind of not really knowing what's going on and having that uncertainty, if that can shine through in the performance, then that makes it better for the viewer, I think. Eggers wanted to take the approach of laughing at misery after his more serious but still very dark film, The Witch. Do you think they did that well, laughing at misery? Laughing at misery. So taking a, a, a kind of comedic approach to the misery of the characters. I have to really think, like, deep down if that if something like that's at the heart of the story. But the, uh, mm. one thing that I can say for sure is that there are, like, a lot of comedic elements in the movie. Uh, in particular, that one great shot where, you know, Robert Pattinson is throwing the bucket of to the ocean and because of the wind, <laughs> it just flies back to his face. <laughs> yeah. That was- that was great, uh, but no, I mean, joking aside, I mean, and, and not really joking because there are a lot of comedic elements. But I don't know yeah. if I would have come up with that interpretation uh, of the okay. like the story or having that essence in the story. Did you see anything in particular that sort of like resonated with that statement? Um, just the farting. <laughs> ah, yeah, the fart was a great touch. Yeah, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah yeah well that's it really yeah i think that um i didn't really laugh out loud at any point when 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 something funny did happen i just felt uncomfortable like am i really do i really feel the desire to laugh when all of this is going on yeah so it was more um if if that was his intention to make a dark comedy i think it didn't work <laughs> yeah you'd have to sort of like look further into that statement to see like under what context he said it i guess he just said that was his right. purpose yeah i think so i mean i would have to look again <laughs> i just i just uh, nabbed a little tiny quote from a from an interview but yeah he said after um after being so serious with with the witch he wanted to make something a bit less serious but i think lighthouse is still pretty heavy you know yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't say. I would say it's even a little heavier than than the witch. But uh, I guess yeah. you know, you never really know how, like an, an artist sees his own work. Yeah. Maybe he thought it was like hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you just a simple question mm-hmm. and see if you can give a, a, a well, a yes or no answer. Did you like it or not? Yeah, you did. I liked it, but I did not love it. <laughs> Dude, that. <laughs> That was like an exact quote. Like that sounded exactly like what you said about Midsummer. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
the same tone and, and everything. Because I've I've heard you because I, I edited that podcast and I heard you say it <laughs> online so many times. It was the exact same. <laughs> yeah, I tend to be I tend to be really repetitive when things make me feel the same way. I guess, but yeah, I mean, I didn't have as much high hopes for this as I did for Midsummer, just because right. I, I also like Hereditary way more than I did The Witch. Um, yeah. Notwithstanding, I like The Witch. I just didn't think it was that great. Yeah, but, um, a bit slow. But still, for this, I was sort of hyped up as well. And I thought it looked really interesting. It looked very different from, you know, what usually comes out. And, and also, you know, kind of risky for the filmmaker as well. And, and yeah, again, it just... Uh, it didn't, I guess, stick with me much as I would have liked. Right. Yeah, I, I hyped it up way too much to, for myself. I was so excited to watch it. Um and when I watched, when I finally watched it, I was like, "All right, fine," but it's grown on me. I think the last time we spoke, I told you I didn't really like it that much. But since we spoke, I haven't said anything about it, and it's been kind of sitting in the back of my mind, and it's been growing on me. And the more I've been reading about it, uh, I think it's, I think it's a really good film. I think there are parts of it which I would have left out, like the, um the sexual frustration of Winslow. I don't think that played a big enough part in the story to, to warrant the, the graphic um, standpoint of it or the, or the graphic um, showcasing of it. Mm-hmm. Not that it was overly graphic, but it's still uncomfortable. Um, yeah. The more I read and the more I learned about it, the more I liked. And one of the things that I did really want to get to the bottom of, and this took a, a quite a lot of looking into today was why did he shoot it like that? From the outside, mm-hmm. it looks like, you know, a pretentious film student trying to make something interesting. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he shot it in the way he did? I mean, yeah, that's something that, that immediately comes to, like, strikes you, I guess. I thought, and this was something that my brother mentioned, he mentioned it in, 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 in like, the style of the cutting in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. Um but I thought overall, like the film had a, a very similar aesthetic to uh, to the work of a of a Swedish filmmaker, like one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Ingmar Bergman. Uh, not only because mm-hmm. of like the photography and the type of shots that he used throughout the film, but also because of the aspect ratio. It was just very right. evocative of a Bergman film, and uh, I guess lo and behold. I, I found a podcast where they interviewed both him and Ari Aster, who are apparently friends. Oh wow! And and they both just uh, like they both just went off on their love of Bergman. So it sort of clicked, and I was like, yeah, I, I can see how this was like a very strong influence for this guy in making this movie. But aside from that, I guess I don't know. Maybe the, it, it obviously gives the movie like a certain like claustrophobic feeling. Um. Again, so- I'm. Sorry, you said the two people in the interview that mentioned the the uh, you said Swedish director, right? Uh huh. They were who were those two people? Uh they were Robert Eggers, Eggers, and Ari Ari Aster. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. No, no. It was it was just that it's uh, like to me it's very interesting when they when a like a when a director makes a very strong like very pronounced stylistic choice. Such as you know, shooting a movie mm-hmm. in black and white, and giving it that aspect ratio that like I forgot what aspect ratio that is, but it's like a very boxy looking aspect ratio that is sure. definitely not very common nowadays. 
So it's just right. interesting for me to see when they make a choice like that and, and see how it actually... Uh, like, how it correlates to the story. Because, yeah, like, Im immediately to me, the idea is, like, that's a little pretentious. I hope it actually mm -hmm. has, you know, a thematic link with the story. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess it makes sense. But at least that's what I could gather. But I don't know if maybe there was a more particular reason why he shot it like that. I mean, I did a bit of research into the, the, um, the style and the aspect ratio and where the inspiration came from. Uh, and like I said, it took a, a bit of um, digging to to figure out this where this aspect ratio comes from. So the lighthouse is shot in the century-old movie tone style. Have you ever heard of that? The movie tone style. Movie tone? No. What is that? Yeah. So this is this is pretty interesting. So um, thirty-five millimeter black and white film on its one nineteen to one aspect ratio. Um, which is basically the boxy square mm -hmm. aspect ratio. It could be, I don't know what the difference is between 1 1, 1 to 1, and 1 19 to 1. But anyway, well, I guess it's it's 1.19 to yeah. 1. So it's. It's almost, almost a square. square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, back in the early 1920s, shooting film with sound wasn't easy. And eventually, an American chemist, physicist, and inventor sorted this out. Theodore Case invented the optical sound-on-film method of recording film, meaning film and sound could be recorded together on one track. Mm -hmm. um, and this was called the movie tone sound system. Uh, and the aspect ratio of approximately 1.19 to 1 that is created by uh, printing an optical soundtrack on top of the 35mm full aperture, became colloquially known as the movie tone ratio. Now, what does all that mean? What am I trying to say? It's square. The film looks square. It's square and it's tight. It looks pretentious. It looks just like a bit of an uh, ostentatious flair. But I read something that really, really clicked. Doesn't it give you the feeling of being trapped? Of being, you know, of lacking space? It's really um, unnerving. And it, it gives me the feeling now, well, now that I look back at it and think about it, they can't get away from each other. They're stuck tightly on this very small island and they have to um, work together and they have to live this part of their lives together no matter what. Does it give you that feeling? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 like I mentioned, it does help like with the like sort of claustrophobic feel of the movie. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, a lot of the way like the shots are arranged, um, yeah, it's very you know very constricted, especially when both of them are on the frame. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say about that. Honestly, man, the research like behind it, trying to find info, like I I I challenge you guys to try and find information on the one point nineteen to one aspect ratio because it is uh, it is hard to find. Okay, so while we're on the topic of, um, I guess, framing and photography, that powerful image. Winslow, in his dream, we think it's his dream, he turns himself over on the floor. He sees this guy on the floor, turns him over, and it's him. Uh, and then suddenly, well, before I move on, have you ever had a dream where you see yourself? Not that I can recall. Not like in the third person, I guess. No, yeah, not really. Man. Not not so much in the third person. You 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 you're in the th in the first person, 
but you see yourself. Ah, uh, like that? No. No, I haven't had a dream oh. like that. Dude, it is, I've had it like twice in my life, I think. It is the most uncomfortable and creepiest things you can experience, in my opinion. I've had, you know, all of the nightmares that people have had been chased, zombies, Freddy Krueger chasing you. Um, but that, I, rem- I remember a very specific one was when I just walked into my bedroom um, and I, I just looked at myself sleeping in the bed. And then I woke up and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's horribly wrong with that. It's so <laughs> weird. And it, it and just, just looking at that in this scene, it made me think of that. Um, sorry, a bit sidetracked. So Winslow turns himself over on the floor and he sees himself and he's looking at him. And then suddenly Thomas Wake is there, the light keep, and he's naked and he's got his hand on Winslow's shoulder <clears throat> and he's stood over him in this weird kind of stepping pose shining light down onto his face. What the f*** did this mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the meaning for that eludes me as well. Uh, but the faux naked was a nice touch, though. <laughs> I mean, it was such strong imagery, and it was there for... It was obviously what I thought Eggers wanted to be, the most powerful section of the film, the most powerful shot of the film. But what the f*** did it mean? I mean... Maybe it goes back to the Greek mythology where um, uh, the light keep is Proteus and he holds this knowledge and he can choose whether to shine it down onto uh, Proteus or, or not Proteus, onto Prometheus or not. But still, I don't know what it means. The Defoe is surprisingly jacked for his age, man. But <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, going back to the meaning of the film. Uh, yeah, dude, I have no idea. There was light coming out of his eyes, right? Like as if he was a lighthouse. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we don't have to know. Maybe maybe we can just enjoy that image and just forever remember. It does warrant the, the second viewing, though. Naked so body. I'd have to give it a. Yeah. I have to give it another chance. I think you should. I think I'm going to watch it again. I, I said I, I wasn't going to watch it again, but now after thinking more into it, I think I'd, I'd want to watch it again. So how have we gotten this far without talking about? What the f*** is at the top of the lighthouse? That's right. So is it like a squ- squid or something? <laughs> um, I don't know. I have my own little theory that because, going back to Greek mythology, because Proteus is kind of um, subject to, um, I think, Neptune mm. or Poseidon, one or the other, the god of the sea, is that Neptune? I might be completely wrong here, but I think Neptune and Poseidon are the same thing, or the same gods, and it might be like Roman and Greek mythology. I might be completely off. Yes. No, you are right. You are right. Neptune is the uh, Roman mythology name for him, whereas Poseidon is the Greek one. You're right. So I think the slithery tentacle creature is Neptune. Um Literally, I don't know. Figuratively, maybe. Uh, is he there? Ah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I can't figure it out. It's one of those things where the more you think about it, it's like, wait a minute. But is it literal or figurative? I mean, now that you uh, that you bring it up, and um, th- th- there's this horror writer whose name is H.P. Lovecraft. He oh, yeah. was uh, 
like very influ he's very influential and 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 continues to be in a lot of horror films that have to do with like the unknown and uh, I mean a lot of them are like directly based on his works and I mm -hmm. guess it's interesting also that like the movie was supposed to be based on like an incomplete uh Edgar Allan Poe story but then I think they yeah. abandoned that and then they just made their own story but there's like a very s strong like Lovecraftian element in the movie because for one there's like a squid creature like a squid like creature yeah, which um, Exactly, which is, you know, very reminiscent of something like Cthulhu, which is, again, like a Lovecraft creation. And, uh, I mean, like in, in, in all of, in the majority of Lovecraft stories, you know, the, like the, sort of like the essence of the, of the tale or story is that, you know, there are these, you know, uh, like otherworldly creatures that have inhabited the earth for longer than man mankind has. And uh, mm. like they're really out to like destroy the world and so on and 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 like one once like man possesses the knowledge of these creatures or actually finds out about them they become insane they lose their sanity. Um, mm. So I guess it sort of ties up with the idea you know that there might be like this squid that the foe like might be having sex with I don't know because he was naked. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess not forgetting yeah. that there there might be the squid that the foe like you know he like worships the squid or uh, I don't know whatever it is but he you know possesses this knowledge and he's maybe become become insane maybe not and there's this you know intense desire for Pattinson to find out what is actually there and uh, yeah and much like the foe I guess once he you know possesses this or obtains this knowledge he it's you know eventually to his demise but I mean it also ties it up with those other parallels you know of Greek mythology and then the and Prometheus and so on. Yeah, yeah, all it all does tie up nicely. Um and I like the the thinking of uh HP Lovecraft there. It does make sense. So yeah, I, th that's the big question and that's one that I think will linger on on everyone's mind after watching this. What did Winslow see in the lighthouse? It's like the the briefcase in pulp fiction. We'll never know, but maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it does have that element. But yeah, talking about the movie so much has made me want to watch it again. <laughs> yes, I knew it. It's a good one, man. I think it's a good one. I think that's all that we have to say, really, about The Lighthouse. Uh, you should definitely watch it. And why am I saying that? You should have already seen it. <laughs> Otherwise, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Anyway, the next one we're going to do is actually a suggestion from uh, Nicola's brother, Stefano. And he recommended Mad Max Fury Road. You've seen it already, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Cool. Uh, and if if you guys want to watch along, then uh, Nicole actually recommends the black and white version because there are two versions, right? And the black and white version is better, isn't it? In your opinion. It's, it's the only one I've watched so far, but it is like the director's original intention. So I would recommend watching it in cool. black and white. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Thank you very much for listening. You can write in your suggestions, comments, and feedback to filmcouchpodcast at gmail.com. And... Uh, that's it from us. Uh, Nicole is going to sign us out. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Sorry if this dragged on for a bit. Um, actually, how long have you been listening to this podcast now? Five weeks? Two days? Where are we? You're probably wandering through a grove of tagging folders up in North Kennedy, like a frostbitten maniac talking to yourself.
knee-deep in snow. Watch you spill your beans, Tommy. How long have you been listening to the Posca? F <laughs> Again. Postast. Postast. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> the quarantine is really getting to me, man. <laughs>